the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. your radio MD. Welcome to the show, everybody. We're streaming live uh, on uh, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, we're on 860 AM, The Answer, and then 97.3, I think, is our FM station in the Tampa Bay area. And you can get us on iHeart, and you can also go to drbillradiomd.com and click Listen Live if you have headphones on your computer or a speaker. And you can also go to the radio station, theanswer.com, and pick us up there, Ken. So if you are if you can't hear me, you can always call the station and pick it up there. Or I'm not called, but... They can call, yeah. too, if they'd like. I'd be happy to talk to them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Find out what it. they're doing today. Hey, no way. Sure. We're at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. Got a lot of news today, folks, so... Hang with me here. Now, first, I'll start off with the uh, the latest Dr. Bill news. So, Ken, I had uh, my PA students scrape off a, a, a lesion, a little pigmented area on my leg, mm-hmm. and we sent it off to the lab. Well, guess what? what? It's melanoma. Oh, Again, no. It's back, bud. You just had this treated like uh, six months ago or something, aren't there? Yeah, well, I had the... Uh, PET scan six months ago, and oh. there wasn't anything there, and so this just popped up in the past few months. Now, I tried to get the wife to take it off, but she kept putting me off. She says it's my fault because I wouldn't make time for her to take it off. But So she, I think she wants me dead, Ken. I, I doubt that very much, Doc. Nobody oh, okay. wants you dead. You're beloved. You're beloved in this community. So at any rate, we scraped this thing off, and I got a PET scan, and the the results came back like Thursday, and or Friday morning, and they had me in the PET scanner Friday afternoon. Boy, talk about a weird experience! You know, you're in this tube, and you have to stay in there for like 45 minutes, and uh, you know, you feel like a mummy because they wrap you up real tight so you don't move, and and you, I started hallucinating, of course, when I'm you know, pre-sleep, kind of dozing off. And you, you know how you get the kind of waking daydreams. Sure. And so I'm seeing all these people in the tube with me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, are these all the people that have been in here had cancer and died or what? <laughs> <laughs> you were hallucinating, Doc. Yeah. I was hallucinating. Yeah. And I hadn't even had any beer yet. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that might have been the problem. <laughs> so at any rate, one little spot in my left great toe which is the, it was on my left uh, calf that I had or I have the lesion I got to go get it the rest of it cut off but one little spot lit up so I'm waiting for the radiologist to tell me it's just arthritis or something otherwise I may be missing a toe here soon hmm. mm. well they caught it early hopefully and that's the good thing 
Yes, yes. And so we're, I mean, we're staying on top of it. I'm getting a PET scan annually, and if not more frequently, like now it's six months ago I had a PET scan. By the way, a PET scan is where they inject you with a radioactive isotope that has uh, the radioactive uh, molecule is oxygen. And uh, it's a sugar molecule, so sugar has oxygen in it. And so they inject that into you, and it's taken up by cells that are actively utilizing oxygen, you know, fast-growing cells, and or fast, uh, you know, high-metabolic met, high rate cells. So the things that light up are going to be the cancers and the brain, and um, if you're excited, your heart and your kidneys. Those are the things that are going to show up the most. And, of course, the bladder, because this is uh, largely excreted through the kidneys and the bladder, so... Those are the things that light up. So you, you can always go home after you've had one of these and your brain lights up, show the picture to your wife and let her know, hey, I really do have a brain. See, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would be impressed, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> no, she'd be a denier. She'd say, she, this must be somebody else's. <laughs> that's right. This is somebody else's head. This is not your head. <laughs> so at any rate, again, malignant melanomas, these are pigmented, darker uh skin cancers and they're the ones that'll kill you in a hurry so you have to stay on top of that if you have a change in uh, in a mole or um, a lesion on your skin or if it's dark and pigmented uh, then you need to get in and, and see your doctor see your dermatologist and get it biopsied uh, taken off whatever now there's a new test out that's uh, still in research and it's actually a stain or a dye that will pick up like 95 to 97% of the malignant melanomas on the skin so you don't have to do the biopsy initially. But uh, we'll see how that pans out. I'm a little leery of, of these kinds of tests. Uh, my experience is that if it looks like it might be a cancer, cut that sucker off. you got plenty of skin. And by the way, the melanomas can are primarily in light-skinned, fair-skinned people. So my father, who was Jewish and very dark, um, he could go out in the sun all day long. He never had one skin cancer, but my mother, she had snow white hair, you know, very, very uh, fair. So I picked that up from her. So, so the, sun rate, is, the sun is still the main cause of that, huh? Yes. The, yeah. There may be a genetic factor, but it's it still looks like it's related to fair-skinned people who are out in the sun. Does Florida have a higher percentage than the rest of the country for places like Las Vegas and absolutely yeah. thank god too all right well i spent most of my life in chicago under the clouds and snow so yeah i mean you, i'm probably you in pretty good shape overall no melanomas up there but of course there's no vitamin d so everybody's bones are falling apart by the age of 50 so that's that that's true d. yeah my knees gave out at 45 or something like that yeah, yeah, you got to take that. At any rate, so I'll just caution you about the malignant melanomas again, and we'll keep you updated as to whether or not I'll lose my big toe. My wife said, you can't lose your big toe. I said, why not? If it saves my life. She says, well, you won't be able to walk. I said, what are you talking about? I'll just, you know, hobble a little bit. But You'll adjust. you adjust. I'll adjust. Yeah. <laughs> better said, than, we'll better than the alternative, yeah. We'll get a fake one, Ken. <laughs> there you go. Fun. <laughs> A prosthesis toe. <clears throat> a prosthesis toe. So the next big news for Dr. Bill today, we'll, we'll get through the Dr. Bill news and we'll move on to the national and international news. Is 
I wanted to seal the parking lot at the at the office, and it's like twenty four thousand square foot. You know, they want to charge you five to ten grand to do it. It's ridiculous. So Bill, my maintenance guy, and I, we took his Ford three fifty F three fifty truck, which is a ten thousand pound pickup truck. It's you know, it's a big truck. It's got double wheels in the back and the whole thing. And we went over to Tampa yesterday to Seal Master, and we picked up this humongous piece of equipment, and they loaded it up, poured five hundred. 500 gallons of coal tar oil in it and we hauled that back and so we were prepping and spraying the parking lot we've got one coat down we're going to put another coat on today that should be fun and uh, it's a you know it's relatively simple once you get the hang of it but it's it's fascinating to go over these plants and see these thousands and thousands of gallon barrels of different mixes and overhead equipment to pour it into the into this humongous tank and you know it's it's a uh, it's quite an ordeal so coming back we probably were i'm guessing his truck's ten thousand, and i would guess that the rig we were pulling loaded up was about seven thousand pounds because you know a gallon of water weighs eight pounds ken so i didn't know if, that okay if you've got 500 gallons and oil's a little bit lighter but there's some water in it but just roughly you're so it's eight times five, which is four thousand pounds, just in the liquid. Well, if when you get any left, I got a driveway. If you got any left over, so. Well, no, Bill's going to take it. He's got a drive that oh, okay. uh, I think he, his father passed away and left him a house, so he's going to go seal that, and we'll see how that turns out. We got to get it back tomorrow, or they're going to charge me another day. Well, be careful so, out there, Doctor yeah, Bill. Does we, everything. Can we were being really careful in this little white car cut in? You know, he was speeding, cutting in and out of traffic. I mean, he came within about six inches of us, and we looked at each other and said, you know, if he bumped our our front fender, he'd be spinning around, and we'd run right over him. We probably wouldn't even have noticed him. <laughs> <laughs> you do everything over there. I mean, you were rewiring a sign not too long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're blacktopping the parking lot. That's great. Yeah, I like to stay busy, and it saves money. And we're going to redo it. The old sign, we uh, it was all rusted out, so we uh, we had done right metal. Well, they're actually fabricating a new a new housing for the sign itself, and then we'll put the sign back together. Bill and I'll put up the scaffolding and and uh, do that. And that. You know what? It's something to do. It gets you outside. It makes you be physical and keeps you in, in shape and keeps you in touch with reality i think but might learn a few new things as well and yeah, yeah. keeps the brain limber yeah. yeah it's a good thing i can't do any of that my only experience is to pick up the phone and say hey how would you like <laughs> come on over and do this <laughs> pay you lots of money for it so. the first time i was going to fix something my wife said it was a plumbing job my wife said you can't do that i said why not you're not a plumber <laughs> I said, watch me <laughs> took her a few years and now i'll say Hey, I'm going to go uh, build a 10-story building today. I'll be back. She's all, oh, okay. <laughs> I know how you are. I can now work on my air conditioner. I couldn't have done that when I first bought a house. You, you learn. You, or yeah, you pay. You, you learn or you pay. You learn or you pay. And you know what? If you learn, you use your brain and mm-hmm. you keep it young. So it's important to stay active. And YouTube is great at that. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you go to YouTube and you have a problem at home, like how to fix my uh, my furnace, Mm-hmm. You go there, and you'll find – You may take you a while to find it, but you will find a video of somebody fixing your problem. Everything is on YouTube. And, and, and it's usually a very simple fix. So 
So did you hear that Facebook and YouTube got into it with Australia? I hadn't heard that. What's, what's the problem with Australia? Don't like the kangaroos? What's the problem over there? I think kangaroos invaded their website. <laughs> is but, that what happened? <laughs> you, know, you know, what happened is that is that the Australian parliament said, uh, you're going to have to pay the news sources, obviously something owned by, uh, uh, what's his name? What's the big news mogul from down under? Oh, it's, um, it's a intellectual property thing they're talking about. Well, they said, "Look, if you're going to if you're going to post news on if you're going to allow news to be posted on Facebook and YouTube, uh, then you're going to have to pay the news source, whatever news source it is, UPI, AP, and uh, Rupert Murdoch. That's ah, it. Okay, no. he owns so much, and you know he's got a piece of Fox, he's got a piece of this, he's got he's got a lock on the uh, on the major news source in Australia." So he apparently is a big guy, and he's pushing the Australian government, and they're agreeing with him that these uh, these social networks, social media channels, need to pay the companies that are actually gathering the news, because you know you have to hire people to go out and, and investigate, and you have to report it, and you have to type it, and you have to post it, and if you're a newspaper, you don't just have a thousand reporters all over the world you get your news from ap upi reuters somebody you have to buy it from and so australia is saying well you know basically you're acting as a news source facebook youtube google whoever and so you got to pay and so i think facebook is in a standoff with them and i think google which owns youtube or i forget which one owns which but anyway one of them said okay we'll pay you and the other one said, no, we're not going to pay you. And they actually shut down news on all the social medias for a while in Australia. Well, the Australians are not happy. Hey, I'm all in favor of this idea. I think it's, I think it's right down to money. Yeah, and I think that if, you're, if you say, well, we're not a news outlet and we're not responsible for the content of the news uh, and we can say what we want, we can say Trump's, you know, a, a donkey or whatever, um, then – well, they, they, they should build a poster. Somebody should be billed. By, somebody should be billed because you're stealing the news, essentially. From. Yeah, you, you have to be held accountable. Yeah, yeah. somebody should be. I, I agree. And then what, what I think should happen, too, is after, after this is implemented, and a lot of other countries are looking at this model and saying we need to copy the Australians and do what they're doing, I think that what, what needs to happen then is once you hold them, once you make them pay, then you have to hold them accountable for accurately reporting it and not just chopping it up. So that's going to be the next step. Um, and I think it's a good thing. I, you know, I think that the, the industry has matured to the point where it can now handle being more like a news outlet and uh, as well as a social media outlet, and not just a social media outlet that is an independent company that is not held accountable other than to their own standards, you know, or the FCC standards of no cussing or whatever, but I doubt they even do that. Both those companies are making probably 10 times your average newspaper makes in a year Ten. You know, 20 maybe 30 who knows yeah but they certainly can afford to do thousands that. And yeah. thousands of times what a newspaper makes now maybe one big conglomerate like uh rupert murdoch's outfit which owns fox and a bunch of other things or has big interest in it maybe they can compete and i would guess he has enough clout that that's how he was able to push the australian parliament to uh, intervene and and say look you got to pay for this which is good yeah and that hurt my feelings doesn't hurt my feelings a bit 
so we'll see what how, how that pans out, how that flushes out. And uh, I'm glad to see that some government is taking action. I don't think our government's going to do anything. I, I think the the social media is so favorable to the left and they're in power. Why should they change it? You know that, what I mean? For, for them, it's a problem that uh, doesn't need to be solved. You're right, yes. Yeah, it's a problem that doesn't need to be solved, so to heck with them. Yeah. So at any rate, we'll see how that pans out. Now, oh, by the way, I was over, we were over picking up the uh, coal tar oil super mix, and uh, I'm standing there talking with the guys, and I'm already popular with them, you know, because Dr. Bill's coming over to get some coal tar oil from us, and the sales lady and the, the manager, they're married, and she's, you know, flirting me up on the telephone, and I'm <laughs> flirting her up, and she calls in while while we're there, and and uh, she says to her husband, hey, Ed, well, you've got him there, ask him. My doctor said if I have hyper high thyroid, <laughs> overactive thyroid, I shouldn't take the COVID vaccine. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> get your butt in there and get it as soon as you can uh, because you're at higher risk because you have an autoimmune disease. So if you get uh, the COVID and you have an autoimmune disease, you have doubled your chances of of uh, dying or being infirmed for a long period of time if you do survive it. So it's important that people know that even if they have some medical condition, that they should still get in and get it. And the only medical conditions that would be an absolute contraindication would be if you had some sort of uh, immunosuppression where you wouldn't make a response where your immune system is suppressed and that would be things like chemotherapy. If you're under actively undergoing chemotherapy for cancer, then those are those types of situations can would be uh, contraindications to getting it. You'd have to wait till you're off your chemotherapy and then go get it. And as I've said before, there's some data out there that metformin, which is for diabetes, uh, can suppress the immune response. This was with the flu vaccine. So, you know, if you extrapolate that into the COVID vaccine, it's probably a good idea to see your doctor before you get the vaccine and get off of the metformin for a few weeks before and uh, maybe three or four weeks afterwards to let your body build up immunity. You can get on something else. There's alternatives to metformin. So that's important. But another one of the guys standing there said, well, my friend said, don't get the vaccine because it's a live virus and it can kill you. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> He doesn't listen to your show at all, does he? I said, you guys are not listening. (laughs) They're not. Do I have to beat people? What do I have to do? Oh, my God. So I explained to them, as I have explained to the audience here, that the the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are messenger RNAs. They're little snippets of, of genetic material. They're not a virus. They're not even anywhere close to being a virus. It's just the little snippet that encodes for the spike protein, the little spikes that stick off of the virus, and that's how it attaches to our cells. And that is taken up by the dendritic cells, which then process it and actually produce the spike protein, stick that out on their cell membranes. The T lymphocytes come along and, and pick it up and start making antibodies, and that's how that works. Now, the the AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson are the adenovirus, which is not the coronavirus. It's a weakened strain of a cold virus that doesn't infect humans, and they've genetically manipulated it to make the spike protein. So it has a spike protein, and then the T lymphocytes can recognize that 
uh, or it can be taken up by the dendritic cells processed and then stuck out on the cell membrane for the T lymphocytes to come along and pick it up and start making the antibodies. It's, it's really, uh, both of these are fairly ingenious methods of immunization, and of course the newest one is the messenger RNA. And by the way, that cannot get into your DNA. It can't alter your genetic makeup. You're not going to start growing spikes Although I tried to make some with some uh, latex and go to work <laughs> with little spikes all over me. <laughs> You're a fun guy, Doc. <laughs> and finally, I just settled on some little on some little purple dots all over them. So, <clears throat> anyway, so I want people to know that <clears throat> they don't have anything to fear from the vaccine. <clears throat> and they say, well, people are having bad reactions. Yeah, you, some of us get sicker than others. You know, for the second shot, I had, you know, a day or two of muscle aches, low-grade fever, headache, big deal. But that's a good thing, isn't it? It means it's reacting. Your means body's you're, reacting. Yeah, it means you're reacting. It means you're making antibodies. And when, you, when your lymphocytes rev up, they release all these inflammatory uh, proteins and hormones. And, and of course, that's going to give you fever and aches and, you know, myalgia, joint pain, whatever. But you'll get over it. It's just a day or two. Come on, give me a break. It's better than being in the hospital for a week on remdesivir and then coming out and not knowing whether or not you're going to have to be on oxygen for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is it? I've been hearing a lot of talk about the second shot. Some folks saying we should put them off further. I'm not sure where we stand on that now. Is it still recommendation of like 10 to 14 days later you get the shot? Because they're trying to well, get all these vaccines out in people's arms and they're worried about the second shot at the same time having enough, I guess. Well, some of this is being stirred up by the by the uh, the bleeding heart liberal doctors who want to uh, distribute the vaccine wider, more widely, I should say. So you get one dose, and then your buddy who who's not a, a real high risk gets the second gets your second dose, and then when there's more va- vaccine out in three to six months, and you'll get a second booster shot. I think that there, if you're a bleeding heart liberal, that there's something to that. If you want to see everybody get it and get it quickly, uh, there's certainly something to that. But uh, I also think that if you're at high risk or a healthcare worker, that maybe we should forego that for the moment, and let's get the old people and the high risk and the healthcare workers all immunized, because those are the people who are going to be at highest risk for not only dying, but also for morbidity after they've had the, the virus and, and have survived. So I think it's important that we look at this uh, in the broadest sense that we can. And first and foremost, you want to protect your health care workers, because guess what? If you get sick and they aren't around. Nobody give you the uh, shot. Nobody around to give you the shot. Then There's nobody to give you the shot. And there's nobody there's nobody to wipe your butt and and, <laughs> wow. and, and you know clean your nose when you're debilitated in the hospital and and who's going to run the ventilators if you're put on the ventilator and where's your pharmacist to mix up the remdesivir because it doesn't come ready to go and you have to get it intravenous 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 uh, it's a drip so is it more of a drip than a is it a shot or a drip what is it here it's a drip it's, it's a drip okay. it's a drip so it goes in over an hour you know it's a small bag mixed with the remdesivir and that's a five-day uh, course of therapy and, you know, besides, what are you going to do if, if your kidneys or your liver is bad? Or you, get, you can't get the remdesivir if your kidneys are, are failing. You have to, uh, have to take the, the 
other treatments, which are the steroids and the anticoagulants. We also get that with the remdesivir, but, you know, it, it increases your risk of dying. And you need people to help you out through that period if you're in that you're, somebody's situation. Somebody's got to yeah. stuff up. Somebody's got to start the IV. Somebody's got to hang the bags and, and take care of you. And somebody's got to put on the zoot suit and go in there with all the gear on and, and help you and help you eat. Because, you know, some of these people are so weak, they need help. They need help just sitting up and eating. And we need ambulance drivers to get you from the house to the hospital safely. I mean, we got to get all these people vaccinated. Well, I guess you could hitchhike, but... Well, that's... Uh, and, and this, I, don't I don't think anybody's going to pick you up. Ken. I was going to say, what the first question is, you got, you, got, you, got, you, got, okay, you got the COVID there? No, don't get in this car, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you look like you have COVID. Where are you going? Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bypass that. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, we got to get all the healthcare folks vaccinated, certainly. Yeah. So there, there's some, you know, there's some logic to this. And, of course, the people that are going to die are largely going to be elderly uh, or infirm, debilitated people. Yeah, we have a few young deaths, but they're they're few and far between. So there, there's. I think that the, I think that you have to weigh the practicality against the morality of it. If you believe in the morality of of you know equality of medicine and everybody gets the same. You know, it it just doesn't work that way. It sounds great on paper, but it just doesn't work. You have to prioritize. You have to triage. Otherwise, I mean, you've got chaos, really. You, yeah. It's just going everywhere, but going nowhere, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And I think that if you are uh, in a position to make those decisions, uh, the, then it's easy to, to be a researcher and say, we should do it this way or we should do it that way. But after you've been out in the field, if you've been out you know, triaging sick people for 40 years and and you have to decide who's who's more important who's more serious and who needs the most protection now i have a 96 year old that uh, she caught it and she was in the hospital and she was pretty sick but we didn't have to intubate her but she said you know i'm 96 years old just let me go to hospice if i live i live if i don't i don't and i've known her for 20 25 years and she always thanks me when she comes in. You've kept me alive this long. And, well, I think genetics had something to do with it. But, you know, I'll take a little credit if, if it's offered. And so I said, I said, Evelyn, I understand. And, and you, you know, you've had a, one hell of a life. You've spanned almost a century. And uh, she was a career woman. And so I said, you know, I have no problem whatsoever allowing you, you know, agreeing with you, not allowing you, but agreeing you because it's not my decision, it's hers, but I have to sign off on the papers and all that. And I said, uh, you know, if you make it, you make it. And if you don't, well, I love you, girl. And we've had a great run and uh, we, we parted ways. So, but, you know, you have to make those decisions as a physician. You have to say, this is hopeless. Uh, this is not. And people say, well, shouldn't we be involved in the decisions about our family and friends? Yes. But ultimately, you express your desires, and I am the one who ultimately says, okay, now the living will and the durable power of attorney kick in because the patient is no longer capable or the situation is hopeless. And, the, and you know, families have, have gone both ways, and I have said to them, well, let's wait a day or two and see what happens, or I agree with you, and I'll go ahead and sign the papers. But the one thing I don't want families to feel like they're doing is that they're actually pulling the plug, Ken, because mm. they're not. 
that's my job. That's kind of what happened with me and my mom. To, uh, my brother and my sister and I were standing there. I still recall the conversation clear as bell with the doctor. She had a stroke. She had a massive stroke in her kitchen one day. And we were standing there, and we were trying to talk her into you know, to talk to the doctor and doing anything he could. You know, what else can we do? What else can we do? My brother pretty well off. He said money's no object, that kind of thing. And the doctor had to finally just say to us, look, look folks, half your mother's brain is filled with blood right now, and there's nothing we can do for her. So, I mean, at some point, you gotta get you got to get everybody to that point at some, in some way, and I, that's got to be the toughest part of your job because you take away the hope. Well, I, I think that the one thing I've learned over the years is not to take away hope, and as you know, I'm not a real religious person, but I understand that a lot of people uh, rely on need that, and they need faith, and they need hope. Um, I've found faith and hope in different things, but you can't take that away from people, Ken. You got to, and and that's why I try to uh, bring them along. You know, the, the the Irish call it hanging crepe. Have you ever heard that term? Sure, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, hanging crepe means when you uh, when someone died in in old Ireland, they would put uh, black lace or crepe around the, the living room at the ceiling around the windows and. And they'd prop the body up, and then they'd have a wake, and, you know, they'd drink and party for a day or two, and then haul poor old uh, Seamus out and bury him somewhere. But hanging crepe is the term for setting the stage that it doesn't look good. And But I never say it's completely hopeless because, I'm, you know, I, I'm not God. I can't see the future. I mean, I can predict it fairly well in medical conditions, but nobody has an absolute lock on that, Ken. Yeah, well... The doctor that day was correct. She passed away about a day later. So, it's, uh... yeah, and and so I mean, there's some there's certain times when you know this isn't this isn't going to fly. You know, yeah. This... I mean, you can you can, you can keep her alive on the machines as long as you like, but we're telling you that this is not going to work out. That that's kind of where he put us at that point. Yeah, and so you 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 do what you can, and uh, you you know you hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Yeah, and that's what you do. And I think that that's a good rule of thumb in, in almost any circumstance to to take a look and see where you're at and, and how far you can go and how far you can't go. You've you got to know your limits. you got to know your limits. Well, now, I mean, that, now that I'm at it to depress the entire audience, how about a break and we'll uh, let's do <laughs> come it. back now and start again. <laughs> and worried about melanoma and death and Dr. Bill pulling the plug. Let's pull the plug for a minute and take a break. Excellent. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Israel is closing its Mediterranean beaches today following an offshore oil spill that has devastated the country's coastline. Officials are calling it one of the country's worst ecological disasters. The Environmental Protection, Health, and Interior Ministry has issued a joint statement today warning the public not to go to the beach. Activists began reporting globs of black tar on Israel's coast last week after a heavy storm washed the petroleum byproducts ashore. Federal regulators are investigating what caused a catastrophic engine failure on a United Airlines plane yesterday. It prompted the raining of debris down on Denver's suburbs. As the airplane made a quick emergency landing, nobody got hurt, however. 
And Novak Djokovic has beaten Daniel Medvedev in three sets to win his ninth Australian Open Tennis Championship this morning, 18th Grand Slam overall. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an in-office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. The IRS doesn't mess around. If they want your money, they'll take it. They can take your paycheck and bank accounts too, even threaten your home or business. Don't take on the IRS alone. If you owe back taxes, the smartest thing you can do is call Optima Tax Relief. The experts at Optima specialize in a powerful IRS tax assistance program called the Fresh Start Initiative. And their clients that qualify are saving thousands, even tens of thousands. One call starts the process to stop the demand letters, stop aggressive collection actions, and stop the IRS from targeting you. But don't delay. It's important to act now while you still have options. Optima is A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Optima has already resolved over a billion dollars of tax debt for their clients get your life back for tax help you need for tax help you can trust call optima now for your free consultation call 800-965-1433 800-965-1433 800-965-1433 some restrictions apply for complete details please visit optimataxrelief.com take am860 the answer with you wherever you go with our mobile app the answer tampa.com alexa tune in iheart and at radio. Mike Gallagher sees it getting personal. It's not Trump's fault. You can sit around all you want and hate Trump all you want and blame him all you want. It isn't going to work. They have a hatred. They just hate the guy. The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9 on AM 860. The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mostly sunny skies for today with a high 74. Hardly cloudy tonight with a low 61. Cloudy tomorrow with a passing shower and a high of 77. 
Tomorrow night, a passing evening shower. Otherwise, partly cloudy with a low 61. And Tuesday, sunny, the partly cloudy with a high 71. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. Back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, with Ken at my side here, and we're having a great time talking about this and that and everything. Actually, we're pretty focused, but we like to make it sound folksy so everybody feels, well, <laughs> warm and fuzzy. And we are at 877-969-8600. Is that you, Doc? I'm sorry. My cell phone <laughs> went off. My bad. What song was that? That's a song I recognize, but I can't place at the yeah. moment. <laughs> You got that right. <laughs> so at any rate, we are back and we're doing a show here. And I want everybody to know that uh, you don't have to be afraid of the vaccine. So, oh, by the way, you know, the, the, the mutations now, that's a big deal. Ken. Yes, yes. I've been hearing a lot about those. And I don't know what to think about them. Well, it, it looks like the spike protein may be mutating. And my take on this is that, uh, and, and Pfizer and, and Moderna are already working on uh booster vaccines that would cover new variants so it may end up being like the flu where you have to get a shot every year well that's okay i can deal with that yeah i can deal with that that's not a big deal doing that already pretty much every year so yeah i mean you're doing it anyway so when you go in for your flu you get your your covid vaccine too yeah and at some point it may mutate to the to where it's not even uh, infectious to human beings. Oh, and we'll probably have some other treatments for it, you know, like we have for the, the influenza vac, uh, virus that we've got the Ostomovir, you know, the Tamiflu and all that. But uh, what, I, what I'm wondering is if the spike protein mutates too much, will it no longer be able to attach to the cell? Because it, it's a lock and key mechanism, right? So, so if, the, if the key becomes too uh, janked up, too distorted, it won't fit in the lock, so it won't be able to get into the cell. So there's two sides to this coin. We'll see what happens. It's, it's fascinating to watch. But uh, the problem with the mutation from South Africa is it seems to be uh, more contagious, not necessarily more deadly, but easier to catch uh, because it seems to be able to latch on and get into the cells faster. So now this one from South Africa is that the same one from Britain or is it a different strain? Because I heard about Africa, South African, Britain, and a Brazilian strain. Now, my understanding is that the South African strain is what has gotten into Great Britain because, okay. as you know, South Africa was a long-term colony of Great Britain, and and there's a lot of travel back and forth, and um, a big part of the South African population is of English descent. Uh, there's a big part of the population that is of Dutch descent, and of course, there's a uh, the majority of the population is South African uh, and did, you know, the indigenous people, whatever you want to call them, black South Africans. I'm sure it's changing now, but I had a guy from South Africa in the office last week, and he had a security company. And you know, I said, "How's business?" He said, "In South Africa, it's great because you know there's just so much crime and and so little uh, concern for life." And I guess the black population is still working through. Uh, their their post-apartheid, uh, you know, the problems that come with being a, a minority population that's subjugated and mistreated. 
takes a takes a while to to get through that and to assimilate the population. It takes a while, but uh, but I think that the travel back and forth between South Africa and England is is so widespread that it's almost impossible to stop it. I mean, you can say we're shutting down the airports, but usually the governments are, you know, a day late and a dollar short on everything. Sure, it's they already in. By, by the time you know about it, it's in already. Sure. Yeah, it's in. And, you know, we talked about this when this thing first broke out and all of us were sitting at the lunch table in the doctor's lounge laughing at the idea that somehow the governments of the world would be able to stop travel I mean, come on! You got merchant marines that are yeah. Well, it was never going to happen. Never going to no. happen. You cannot. And this is since the beginning of of human history. People travel. They get around somehow. They'll find a way to get around. Sure, the plague wasn't spread, you know. Oh yeah, by 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 uh, air craft. It was people wandering from town to town. Yeah, and and came on ships. It came uh, across. Uh, trading routes, the Silk Road, and and there's just no way that you can, when you have social animals, it's hard to keep them apart, and that's, humans are social animals. We, we, we're herd animals. We like to get together. And uh, Not so much in the last year, but I'm ready for it again, so I just got to... Hey, we haven't missed a beat. We've had our weekly uh, bonfires. We had one last night out in Barb's driveway, so we're not backing off. Mine's a self-imposed exile. Well, I think I may have gone too far. <laughs> we've heard bad things about you, Ken. So we're, <laughs> it's a, we're actually, actually, nobody wants to be with me. So, <laughs> 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 no, don't bring Ken. Tell him it's a COVID thing. Just tell him to stay home. <laughs> uh, yep, just say COVID. That's right. <laughs> so, moving on, uh, I was. Fascinated by the shutdown of the uh, of the big windmills in Texas by the by the big freeze, and the solar panels in Europe uh, were covered up with snow, so they're not working. So, you know, we we are not going to be able to rely uh, completely on quote quote renewable energy. Maybe in a hundred two hundred years we might, but not now. No. Well, you know, yeah, if you put solar panels out in space and have some way to beam the electrons exactly, exactly. into a, yeah. a storage tank, but that's technology way, way... Right, that's Star Trek have. stuff, so... And and the International Energy Commission, you know, their projections are that the world will continue to use primarily fossil fuel over the next century. Of course. And, that, and that's coming from people who are big believers in, in alternative energy, they're saying, we just don't see how it's going to happen. Now, we may be able to cut down on automobile admission, emissions, and, and, and we may be able to figure out ways to recapture the carbon coming out of the smokestacks, and, and that certainly is something that we can look at. But there are uh, a lot of secondary costs to windmills and solar panels, and there's also downtime. Now, the thing that, that there's no downtime for or very little downtime with the newer reactors are the uh, nuclear power plants. And they work by creating heat from nuclear reactions, and that boils the water and turns it into steam, which then is used to drive the turbines and create the electricity. And you also have to think about uh, how far you have to push this, Ken, because, you know, if you, if you want to build a solar plant, you're going to have to find somewhere that's sunny, 
and it, it's going to have to be a fairly large area, so it's going to have to be more remote. And so you're going to have to push the energy, the electricity further. And there's a, a cost to that. I mean, there's an energy cost to pushing energy. Just like if you turn on the hose at your uh, at your garden, somewhere there has to be a pressure head to push the water out. Well, and somehow that pressure head has to be created, and it's created by pumps pumping water up into a water tank, a, a, a water tower, and then let gravity do the work from there, or directly pumping it out of your, your cistern or your well and uh, pushing it through the pipes in your house. But somewhere you have to expend energy. So the further you have to push electricity, the more energy that, that is, is expended. And you have to think about the downtime, Ken. At night, you're not going to make solar. When the wind doesn't blow, you're not going to make uh, uh, wind-driven electricity, wind turbines. But nuclear is available all the time. That's the nice thing about nuclear. You, you have to bleed out the radioactive uh, gases, but the newer reactors, they have a, a, a way to do that where they don't have to shut down temporarily, and and you can run them day and night. So let's say that you have, you're up north, and during the day, the energy demand drops because it's it's fall and it's it's pleasant out. It's at night when it gets cool and everybody turns on their their furnace, right? Correct. And in the south, it's during the day because in the summer it's hot. Everybody has on their AC. I know well, I you do. can plan your downtime around uh, the the demand, but you can't do that with 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 solar and and uh, wind. You because. You know, the, the demand and the time that it's up and running are two different things. Yeah, you just so, don't control the weather, so you have no control of those conditions. You have to be have to have some reliable source going almost all the time. Yeah, and you cannot control the sun. Exactly. Apparently, it, it, the Earth turns on its axis, and the sun pretty much stays where it is. And so, I mean, if we could convince the sun to <laughs> to orbit around us. <laughs> We might be okay. I'll get right on that, Doc. Okay. Yeah, give give God a call, would you? <laughs> I'll see what I can do, yeah. <laughs> so th- this is a big problem, and then you have to look at the efficiency. And, yes, uh, on the face of it, it looks like wind is, is one of the most efficient ways, but there's maintenance and upkeep. There's installation. Uh, you have to replace these things, and we still don't know the full impact on the environment. Well, how many hundred million cars do we have in this country? Uh, gas, uh, Gasoline-using vehicles, let's say, trucks, cars. Uh, we must have a hundred a million of them. Yeah, we've got to have 300, 400 million now. Probably. By the time all of these cars have come to the end of their lifetime, it's going to be 10, 20 years, I would think. I would think. Before you could even begin to think about getting rid of gas stations. Because they're still going to need them. I don't care how many electric cars you're selling. Well, they've been phasing out gas stations. I mean, remember when we were kids, they were everywhere. Now the, they're they're taking them out of the inner cities and putting them just a, a, an occasional one here and there. So I think there's an evolution going on here. And I don't have a problem with an electric car, but uh, we need to make sure that it's affordable, uh, that it's uh, persistent and constant, that there's always energy there, there's always electricity. Because say you're taking a trip, Ken, and you're you're traveling at night. You know, a lot of kids drive all night long. A lot of young people. Well, you got to stop and fuel up somewhere. <laughs> if there's no electricity, you you may be stuck out in the middle of the park in front of somebody's house and find yourself a long extension cord. Yeah, and plug it in, baby. That's right. They may not like that, but 
hey, they're asleep. Who cares? Well, I mean, are all our parking lots going to end up looking like drive-in theaters with these charger stations in between all cars? I mean, it's, I can't imagine how that's all going to work out. But Well, there's two chargers at St. Pete General in our little hospital, one in the doctor's parking lot and one out in front in the public parking lot. Are they used all the time? Maybe there's always somebody parking there? I would not say all the time. Yeah. I would say that maybe 50% of the time I see somebody plugged in. But uh, th- that's another thing is we got to get the infrastructure up. Exactly. Now, one of the Chinese companies has figured out a way that you pull into a service station and the battery pack is removable. So it's a plug-in pack. So there's an, an arm that goes under, pulls it out, and then puts in a new charged one. <clears throat> and then you just <clears throat> pay the fee and, and that's your that's your fueling, mm-hmm. which is one way to do it. But, you Ken, you got to think about the lithium batteries, too. Where are we going to get enough lithium? I mean, you can't use lead acid. They just aren't aren't uh, efficient enough. So we have to have more lithium and more efficiency. And, you know, one of the renewable sources of, of electric power that is being underplayed is hydroelectric. Yes. To build a dam. Yeah. Remember the big push in the 80s and 90s to take the dams down. And now everybody's gone. What do we do that for? Well, you're and, you're battling the uh, the, uh, the ecologists with that one. Yeah, well, it's too bad. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the, kind of my the, feeling the, too. But the dotted guppies are going to perish. But I told you one of my friends. He he's a big environmentalist and uh, uh, hunter, and he was instrumental in starting the Wild Turkey Association. And they've repopulated turkeys all over the United States and. Um, you know, he's really an interesting guy. And there's a report that came out in Kentucky that uh, a species of gar had, some kind of primitive gar fish had disappeared from the Ohio River. And so he went before the state legislature. He said, nonsense. I caught one last week. Here it is. (laughs) (laughs) So some of this. I know up in Chicago for about 10 years, a little frog that I had never heard of just completely brought a badly needed toll road to a complete stop. Yeah, and these things get caught up in court and it drives me crazy sometimes. Yeah, it's it's uh it's unbelievable. And you know what? We can create habitats and we are and we're preserving life and we're but learning to be a steward of the land, it takes time, just like it takes time to learn to be a farmer or be a radio guy or be a doctor. There's a learning curve and it's not going to be without bumps. Everybody makes mistakes. And 95% of all species have perished from the earth anyway. Everything eventually goes extinct. Extinct. You're absolutely right on that one, Doc. I mean, what can you do? Um, And some of it's not our fault. A lot of the mass extinctions have occurred because of natural disasters, natural events like asteroids hitting the planet or shift in the the polar uh, uh, electric fields. And apparently we're undergoing one now. Uh, so in position from the sun, uh, weather changes, you know, ice ages. That, I mean, that's not something that we have control over. No, the, there were deserts that used to be lush tropical areas, but are yeah, deserts Sahara, today. I mean, we didn't do that. Yeah, Nature Sahara. did that, yeah. And, and the axis of the earth shifted a little bit, and all of a sudden the weather patterns change, and now you got the Sahara Desert. Exactly, so... It, we we are probably responsible for fewer extinguish, extinctions than uh, nature itself. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt about that. 
and say, well, do we have some moral responsibility to try not to wipe out other species? Well, yeah, I think so. But I also think that we have to do it with some science and technology and not just stop everything in the middle of its tracks and say, we can't do this because the, you know, the polka dotted spotted guppy is going to disappear <laughs> from the planet forever. Right. <laughs> well, common sense. Be out of balance. <laughs> well, you know, what can you do? So at any rate, I, I, I guess my push here is that we really do need to utilize our water resources. We need to, uh, we need to utilize the water that's available. And there's more water than ever now. You know, we've got the polar caps melting, so we have a lot of fresh water. Impound that water. You can make inexpensive uh, uh, hydroelectric generators just by digging a channel in a river off to the side and put a, put a wheel in there to turn the turbines, and there you go. you got some power. We can use nuclear because it's... Uh, Although it's expensive up front, it's cheap at the back end, and you only have to refuel every few years. So it's something that we can do, and we can do it more efficiently than we have in the past, and we can build better uh, nuclear generators that uh, will suck out the radioactive materials and reprocess them so they're not in the atmosphere. And so the only pollution you're really going to have from that, because the amount of nuclear material you, you, you use, Ken, is so small. You can just bury it right where it is, right on site. You just encase it in glass, bore down to the uh, to the to the bedrock, and drop it in there. It'll stay there for a thousand years. Yeah, and right now we're shipping it all out to a cave in Colorado or someplace, aren't we? I'm not sure where, where it all yeah. ends up, but it goes somewhere out there. It goes somewhere. Well, you know the 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 uh, Savannah River plant, not the Savannah, the Crystal River plant uh, up in uh, Citrus County. They buried it right there. They, you know, they took that that uh, that reactor down because there was a crack in the containment housing, the big concrete dome that goes over the reactor to keep it from from escaping into the atmosphere if there's a meltdown. I don't know if that works or not, but it sounds good. Anyway, they took all that material and they just entombed it and buried it right there on site. So I think that's what they did with Chernobyl too, didn't they? Well, I think, I think it Chernobyl just buried itself, itself. really. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, it melted down. To, the core melted down to the to the bed. The water table, that's right. Down yeah, all the way down. Yeah. So it's you know it's a thousand or two feet down underground somewhere, smoldering away. They just encapsulated uh, the entire plant with concrete. I think. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that we we have to be smart about this, and you can create these little uh, these little nuclear turbines that look like a jet engine. Only they run in reverse, and as you spin the the fan with the with the hot uh, steam shot out at it, then you produce electricity, and those can feed up to fifty thousand people. So you could have uh, you can have these things disseminated around all the small towns and uh, communities. You can put them anywhere, and they're relatively safe. And uh, you, the, the nuclear material that you bring out is so small. It should be easily transported out and buried and entombed. So, at any rate, we're getting near the end of the show, and I want everybody to remember I am Dr. Bill, your radio MD. I'm at 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. The nail gel study is cooking along. We've got room for a couple more people. 
free antifungal toenail gel. You get a mug. You get to come in and hang out with us, and we have all kinds of fun in the office. Everybody's laughing and happy. How much time we got? 35 oh, 25 We also got telemedicine, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. We'll get a little music going, Ken, and let's, let's go do something else, bud. See you next Go. week, Doc. Love you guys. Thanks for being there. Thank you, Ken. Your eyes are great help. <laughs>